0: and search for themodernwest.org and find the donate button. It doesn't matter how much you commit to, $5 or $100. It just matters that you show us that you want us to keep telling these stories. My recommendation? Pause this episode and do it real quick before you forget at themodernwest.org. You might have looked to see what our episode was about this time and had, like, a reflex reaction. The Great Plains? That's not the American West. These guys don't know what the heck they're talking about. But hear me out. In my humble opinion, the wide-open expanses of prairie to the east of the Rocky Mountains are part of the West. I haven't always felt this way, but over the years, I've learned some things that have convinced me. For one, the Arapahoe tribe called the front range of the Rockies their homeland. But they also laid claim to the plains as far out as the mountains cast a shadow. And the animals once felt that mountain-prairie connection, too. Bears didn't used to be exclusively mountain creatures. They roamed out onto the plains for food. Same with elk. And in the story of westward expansion, the pioneers crossing the Great Plains strained their eyes for that first glimpse of the mountains. But for lots of us Westerners, we reject the prairie like it's a weird cousin. Hey, no relation to me, man. And the idea of doing a long-distance hike across the plains, it might sound ludicrous, especially if you're a Pacific Crest Thru hiker or dreamed of bagging the Continental Divide Trail. But in these crazy times of global pandemic, the Great Plains Trail might be just what we all need a good dose of. A few years ago, prairie lovers built this 2,200-mile footpath from the bottom of Texas up through New Mexico, then across eastern Colorado, Nebraska, south and North Dakota to the top of Montana. You might be thinking, there's no trees out there, and it's flat. But just for a minute, try channeling Little House on the Prairie. There was only the enormous, empty prairie, with grasses blowing in waves of light and shadow across it, and the great blue sky above it, and birds flying up from it and singing with joy because the sun was rising. And on the whole enormous prairie, there was no sign that any other human being had ever been there. Now that's true social distancing. Reporter Emily Chen Newton was one of the prairie skeptics when she moved to Nebraska for her husband's career. But then she spotted a photograph of the Great Plains Trail, and her inner Laura Ingalls Wilder came surging forth. From Wyoming Public Media and PRX, this is The Modern West, exploring the evolving identity of the American West. I'm Melody Edwards. Emily wasn't a natural fit to be a through hiker on the Great Plains Trail.
1: Yeah, well, that is kind of a funny story. And it begins with the fact that I am a uh, somewhat displaced rock climber. (laughs) I have moved to Nebraska from Kentucky, where we have wonderful rocks to climb, Uh, but my husband is here in Nebraska. So I moved here, and somewhat begrudgingly so, uh, missing the rocks that I am used to climbing back home. So I was in the airport uh, as I was flying out here, and I saw a magazine, it was Backpacker Magazine, and it had these amazing photographs on the front. And I was just kind of in the process of deciding that, you know, I'm not going to be a climber out here in the Great Plains, so I'm going to try to get into something else, um, maybe this through hiking thing. So I see this magazine, and I never buy magazines in airports, because who does? That's ridiculous, right? But it was just gorgeous. And so I open it up, and it looks like Australia, but lo and behold, it is this Great Plains Trail. (laughs)
0: It reminded Emily of her younger self years before. I I backpacked across
1: Australia uh, in a large section of it. So
0: she reached out to the organizers building the trail to see how she could help. At first, she was thinking about volunteering to post signs or collect data or something. But then she got a job as a reporter at the public radio station in Omaha and thought, wait a minute, I could do something even bigger for this trail. I'll produce some radio stories about hiking it. After all, a decade earlier, she'd hiked across Australia.
1: And I think I was thinking of that uh, version of myself when I agreed to
0: hike <laughs> <laughs> this many miles. Like, oh, of course I can do that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Emily pitched this idea to her boss and got everybody on board. She arranged to bring along a filmmaker, and the two of them started getting their gear together to walk a three-day stretch of the Great Plains Trail, where it cut across Nebraska. But it was in the middle of summer, and like 99 degrees on the prairie. It sounds like there would be a lot of sun, that you would also have to be prepared not only with water, but also uh, for a lot of sunshine. But maybe there's more trees than, than I realized. You know, sadly, that, uh, <laughs> no, you're correct on that <laughs> okay. one. Um,
1: and I, I'm a ginger myself. It was decided Uh-oh. that my, my trail name is something like the, the Ginger Avenger, perhaps. <laughs> so the amount of sun protection that I needed, Melody, to be on this trail was ridiculous. I had, I had a hat with UV protection, like woven into the hat. I had zinc just caked on my face. And I also had a trail umbrella. If, if, you got, if y'all don't know what those are, you should research them and get yourself one. <laughs> I, I
0: mean, think you I've will seen... look
1: ridiculous, but, but it, it, was, it was amazing. It's, uh, it's covered with this reflective material. So it really, it, it did an awesome job. I did not get sunburned.
0: So decked out with all the sun protection she could get her hands on, Emily, a.k.a. Ginger Avenger, hit the trail. Here's the first story she produced for Omaha Public Radio. Only one
1: person has completed the Great Plains Trail, but the second person to hike a long section has just made his way through Nebraska. And we met up with Clay Bonnyman Evans in Crawford, Nebraska when he had already been hiking for two weeks. So spending the night in a small town with a laundry and a small grocery store was quite a welcome break, even if we were camping in a city park. Still, Clay is philosophical.
2: This trip that I've been on has just been such a solo endeavor.
1: He speaks as the sun sets over Crawford and we're huddled around our camp stove.
2: I've seen zero backpackers until you. Yay! Today, today I saw my
0: first backpacker on Great Plains Trail.
1: (laughs) Clay says through hiking is usually much more communal. In fact, most through hikers have trail names, honored by the community. Clay's trail name is Pony, because once on the trail, he was trying to explain his walking style to a fellow hiker, and he said,
2: I am like a little mountain pack pony, and I thought, that seems like a perfect name for me. So I just said pony because I I'm, I put my head down and I go and I can I can carry stuff and I can go a long way, and so it fit.
1: Earlier that day, we put our heads down, one foot in front of the other, on the Nebraska section of the newly formed Great Plains Trail, making our way through the silver sagebrush of the Ogallala Grasslands dodging cow pies in the federal grazing areas, then to Toadstool Geological Park. Hills of eroded volcanic ash and chunks of sandstone seem to balance on their own, leading some to say it's like being on another planet, something Pony points out when giving directions to the trail.
2: If you just follow that around that corner, you will get to the really cool moonscape.
1: From Toadstool, we follow the Bison Trail, which guides you straight to an active dig site, the Hudson Mang Bison Bone Bed. Uh,
3: as you can see, everything's kind of jumbled together, broken apart. There's no real rhyme or reason to the bones.
1: This is Aaron Shinnewolf. Our tour guide at the bone bed. Ranchers Albert Meng and Bill Hudson discovered the nearly 10,000 year old bones in the 50s, but it took another 20 years for the site to be officially excavated. Now, a mobile building stands on top of the dig. Inside, we look down into the large echoing pit.
3: So this is just one small portion of what was uncovered in the 1970s. -hmm. If you look over here, this is their site map. Um, This red indicates uh, what you're seeing there. So that's just one small portion, maybe an eighth of the total bones.
1: Unbelievable. The Hudson-Mang Education and Research Center is the largest Alberta culture bison kill site in the world. And Aaron tells us the bone bed is so immense that Pony and I would have crossed over it earlier without even knowing.
3: Pretty much when you came in over that, across the water there, you were standing on top of bones.
1: Even though it's called a bison kill site, the actual origins of the bones are still unknown.
3: There's two theories. Uh, One is that it was a natural event, um, either through a flood, a fire, a lightning strike, or that um, this was a human event. Um, And there's kind of two theories on the human event and that's that this was a one-time thing, a major kill before the winter.
1: And the other idea? Carbon dating of the remains reveals a huge age difference among them, suggesting paleo-Americans would have come here to hunt year after year. And despite the years of study, researchers also don't know what happened to all the skulls in the bone bed.
3: So that's one of the other mysteries about this place is... where the heads? Where did the heads go?
1: Hmm. Aaron tells us they're looking for another researcher or archaeology graduate student to continue working on some of the mysteries of their bone bed. When we left the bone bed, we picked up our trekking poles again and began walking to Crawford, where we set up camp that night.
0: I asked Emily what surprised her about the Great Plains for one, it is not as flat
1: as I thought it would be, <laughs> which I was a little, um, I got my ass kicked, to be honest. <laughs> like, really? Yes. I thought, I thought, okay, 15 miles a day, on average, I can do that. It's going to be flat. I'm over 30 now, but it's going to be flat. You know, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. But it was not flat. We did around 2,000 feet of elevation, and we have to, you have to carry a lot of water. We actually discovered that there, there was more water available than we initially thought, um, and so we were hauling a whole lot of water, somewhere between three and four liters, and it turns out there are some more places along the trail where you will be able to collect water and filter it. If it's a wet year, you can count on some of these water spots. And in large part, that's what this phase of the trail building is for. You know, I was hiking with this guy, uh, Pony is his trail name, and he was still really doing a lot of this data collection in terms of what is the trail like from the ground? What is the trail like? Where can you get water? Where do we need more signs? Where is it confusing? And those kind of details that you can't really get until your feet are on the ground. The views that you get, while it's difficult to deal with some of the vast open spaces, are mentally pretty tough when you're walking along cornfields for, say, 10-plus miles. But the views and the sunsets and the moonrises and moon, I mean, that is amazing.
0: But the unexpected magic of sun and moonrises weren't the only kind that Emily encountered along her long walk. Coming up, Emily learns all about something called trail magic. If you are liking what you're hearing, and actually, hey, even if you don't, we would love to hear about it. Take a moment right now to leave a rating or review on your podcast app. It'll help new listeners discover the modern West so that we can keep bringing you stories about the evolving identity of the American West. Hey, thanks, y'all. Every summer, as a kid, my mom would load us into our big old station wagon, and we'd drive away from our mountain town, out across Nebraska to Iowa, where my grandmother lived. At gas stations, I'd get out and the humidity would hit my lungs, and the sound of crickets and the smell of strange flowers, and I'd think, I don't think we're in the mountains anymore, Toto. The great North Platte River shimmered under that hot sun, gorgeous shorebirds flapping overhead. It made me wonder what's this place hiding? Because here's the thing mountain dwellers reject our weird cousin, the prairie, but weird cousins are often the most interesting to talk to at family reunions. And that's what Emily was discovering on her journey along the Great Plains Trail. Here's her second story from the trip
1: There are some bugs. There are bugs. We settle into our campsite making a dinner of dehydrated eggs and beans over our camp stove.
2: And the beans didn't really hydrate fully, so they're crunchy. Because it's burning on the bottom. I don't know, man.
1: After another 99-degree day of 13 miles and 1,000 surprising feet of elevation in the Nebraska National Forest, Clay, trail name Pony, talks about how trail culture is rooted in pulling toward a common goal together, and that hikers help each other out, doing favors for one another in a way that's just different from life off the trail.
2: But on the trail, that sort of stuff happens all the time, and it's, it's so encouraging. Mm-hmm. All the weird differences fall away. You're all out there pulling in the same direction on something that's pretty hard.
1: It's hard, but Pony says it's a good world to be in because it feels so authentic and real. In fact, some thru-hikers refer to life off the trail as the synthetic world.
2: So the hiking world is, you know, the real world. And everything else is the synthetic world. So I love that phrase. I didn't make it up, but I think it's apt.
1: A thru-hiker who's become famous on YouTube, trail named Dixie, coined the term. And in this very real world of muddy boots, long days, and funny names, you can also find magic right when you really need it. But Pony says this so-called trail magic really isn't so mystical. Any unanticipated favor
2: done for a hiker. So anything at all, somebody at a road crossing, gives you a band-aid, you know, that's magic. The guy at the hotel gave me an incredible deal. I didn't beg for it, I didn't ask for it, he just gave it to me, that's magic.
1: The people who make the magic happen are called trail angels. Earlier in the day, we met two of these angels. Just about a mile off the trail, they opened the door to their home and welcomed us in.
2: Stopping by Tom and Carol's house, and having them really respond to us being there and giving us iced tea.
1: Tom and Carol Foster run the schoolhouse bed and breakfast bordering the Nebraska National Forest. They're excited to get involved with the trail, possibly renting tired hikers a room or a bed. Tom and Carol renovated the 1920s schoolhouse themselves, but they didn't change everything. The old potbelly stove is still there, with the original chalkboards hanging on all four walls of the schoolhouse.
4: They were real dirty when we uh, was uh, remodeling, so we got some chalkboard paint. But it's original chalkboard.
1: Carol then tells us we need to take a look at their barn. She says they can hang hammocks for hikers to sleep in. But for now, Christmas lights are strung between the high beams of the barn. They're set up for the free annual barn dance they host for the community. The original hayloft, lit with twinkle lights, is furnished with old, red, and green restaurant-style booths. Tom tells us where he got the vintage seating.
4: It was a uh, Pizza Hut. Yeah.
1: The Pizza Hut booths are set up so that people can have conversations in small groups, or they can face the stage area where the live band plays after a shared meal.
4: We have a a supper before outside, and then the van sets up up down there.
1: As generous as they've been, our angels have one more gift to offer. Their expertise as locals, familiar with the roads and trails. We're standing in their front lawn when Tom asks Pony.
4: What road do you take
1: when you come out of the East Ash?
2: So when we come out on the the East Ash Road, we'll turn right.
1: Tom looks skeptical. He has a better way. He knows these roads, and there's too much traffic and dust on that one. So he gives us another route. And this is the way that things go in the early years of building a new long-distance trail like the Great Plains Trail. You establish the trail, and then you make modifications based on the experience of hikers and the knowledge of local people.
2: Excellent. I'll pass this on to Steve okay. and let him right. Thank you so okay. much. Thank yep.
1: you. The Steve Pony is referring to is Steve Myers, the one who began dreaming up and building this trail nearly a decade ago. At the end of every day, Pony writes in a notebook his thoughts and details about the trail for Steve. He tracks where trail markers need to be added, where water sources can be found, and occasionally suggests changes to the route. And as Pony says, That's magic. Tomorrow, we'll see how Tom's new route goes.
0: I knew what Emily and Pony meant about trail magic. I've done a lot of backpacking over the years. We once found an ancient spring deep in a canyon in Utah, just when we'd run out of water. And a trail angel once gave me a ride in a boat across a wide lake, saving me miles of hiking. But as Emily found out, trail angels and trail magic, they make long-distance trails like this one possible. She talks about that in the third installment of her reporting.
2: So we followed that around through kind of that, that grassy part and then went down into the last little canyon. And- this is
1: Clay Bonnyman-Evans describing our route for the day. Yesterday, we met Tom Foster, who lives near the trail, and he suggested a route change, giving us detailed directions before we left his house.
4: will come to a T when you get down there it, and you'll take a left.
1: He owns a bed and breakfast with his wife just off the trail, and he knows these roads well.
2: That's what i have to do. Thank you so much, okay. thank yep. you. Excellent.
1: So after walking Tom's suggested route and finishing the Nebraska section we set out to hike, we're back in the car with tired legs, bug bites and blisters, driving towards the bus station as Pony reflects on the path that we've walked.
2: So we headed down the route that Tom suggested today it was a windy, dusty day, but seeing all the terrain between where we camped last night all the way to Box Butte Reservoir, I think it's really interesting. A lot of it is nice. There's some trees, it's, it, there's some varied terrain, and I think it's a really interesting viable alternative, and so what I'll do is I'll report back and say, hey, you know, maybe you already considered this, but I wanted you to know that we've traveled that route, and I think it's a possible, interesting alternative for these reasons.
1: And this is the way long distance trails are built. Adjustments are made to the route for years after the flexible framework is first established. And for Pony, that's also one of the great appeals of thru-hiking. It's always changing. There's always a new challenge.
2: And the environment out here, it isn't necessarily easy, you know? And when you start doing something like this, you know that you might have a hot day. If you go to a different time of year, you know you might have a cold, windy day, and snow and so forth it makes it really interesting. Because this long distance hiking stuff, one of the appeals for me is, I think it's really good training for flexibility and ingenuity on how you are going to adapt to whatever you're facing on a given day, whether that's a big blister between your toes, or a sore knee that day, or whatever's going on. you have an opportunity because you know you have to keep walking forward.
1: And Pony says the small towns along these long-distance trails are an essential part of helping hikers to keep walking forward. And in return, hikers boost the local economies when they cross through these towns.
2: I know on the well-known trails, the Appalachian Trail, I mean, there are towns that count on that income. People come in, they buy groceries, they eat at restaurants.
1: Pony and others working on this trail project say the response from farmers, ranchers, and small-town governments has been overwhelmingly positive. Like the town of Crawford, for example.
2: Crawford's an old railroad town, and it's a really nice little town. But, you know, they're very interested because something like this, if it really gets established and it becomes a thing like, hey, you know, people are going to start walking this thing, it really does make a difference.
1: Tom Foster says he would love to have more tourists coming through. Yeah, no, anytime that this area,
4: we can get any more people come through and see it because... Like you say, there's people in uh, eastern Nebraska that hasn't been down here.
1: Both Tom and Pony say that it's a shame that so many people miss out on the beauty that this region has to offer. But maybe this trail could change that.
4: People think of Nebraska as uh, interstate cornfields and uh, Platte River.
2: Well, what is Nebraska? Oh, it's corn and the interstate. No, it's not.
4: I mean, we had the pine trees and rolling hills and deer and turkey. But
2: here's the thing, everything that I've seen of Nebraska walking through this part has been a revelation. I didn't know that there were like African savanna-like stretches for 50 miles that I walked across, and just really, really beautiful. So, toadstool and the, the geology and that history, all of that, it's been great, it's really cool.
0: think it's really interesting, all of these uh, through trails that we have in our country. And I just, you know, it seems like they are kind of almost like national treasures. And I just wonder what it is about them that makes them so valuable to people.
1: I think it might
0: have something to do with crossing
1: borders and having these national treasures that are these really important geographical threads that can connect different regions cuz they're massive, right? Like these thru-hiking trails are huge, so they cross through different states. They cross through different regions, but they are the singular through line. I don't know. There's
0: some metaphor there. Yeah. <laughs> it it just seems like when you live in a country which has that ability to walk hundreds of miles, then you know that you still have that sort of open space, that you can still do that. Being able to do that seems like it's worth, you know, somehow protecting. You can choose to walk thousands of miles, but you can also just
1: walk a couple miles. When I think about outdoor sports and the outdoor space, there can be a little bit of an elitist element to it because a lot of it costs a lot of money. You know, you can't just, like, dip your toe into snowboarding. You have to be able to, like, get all the gear, go to a resort. So you have a small population of people who take advantage of it. But when you have a through-hiking trail, you don't have to be hiking the Appalachian Trail to walk a part of it. And I think that then inherently makes the activity and the trail more
0: accessible to everyone Emily really got me thinking about my feelings for the prairie. The last time I made that trip to my grandmother's across Nebraska was for her funeral. I drove out with my dad and my twin daughters, who were only toddlers then. We stopped to stay the night at a small town near a wildlife refuge on the North Platte River. It's a river that starts as melted snow in the mountains of my home in Colorado. Even the rivers connect mountains and plains. It was almost dark, but we put on our coats and hiked along a little trail to the water's edge. We heard the eerie warble of sandhill cranes. We saw wild turkeys grazing in a meadow. Frog calls throbbed in our ears. Would the mountains be as majestic without the vast expanse of plains, I wondered? Would the plains feel so vast without the height of those mountains? They're connected at their geologic heart. That evening... I wanted to keep walking and walking. Even my kids didn't want to turn back, but it got too dark and so we headed back to the car. Maybe that was us putting a toe in on the Great Plains Trail. (music) Have you ever hiked a long, long way? Do you have tales of trail magic and trail angels that you could share? We'd love to hear them. Visit us on social media at Modern West Pod. Next time on the show, a small town drag queen competes in a big city drag competition.
3: I think that like high school me would be really proud of how uninhibited I have been presenting myself as just a social freak. (laughs)
0: I'm Melody Edwards. This story was produced in collaboration with former Omaha Public Radio reporter Emily Chen-Newton. The show's story editor is Aaron Jones. Our digital producer is Anna Rader. Our executive producer is Micah Schweitzer. Our theme song is by Screen Door Porch. The Modern West is a production of PRX and Wyoming Public Media. our goals is to get a dialogue flowing about the stories that we're telling. We're hoping that you'll join the conversation. So connect with us on social media and let us know what your thoughts are, whether you agree with what you're hearing or not. We're at Modern West Pod on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. That's Modern West Pod.